This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg Twenty-one, page one. Basically, the Alter Rebbe is writing to his Hasidim, who supported Koilul Chabad, supported the uh, Jews living in Israel, and every Hasid had a quota: how much they committed, how much they were obligated to give. And here, the Alter Rebbe is innovating and he's telling them that yes, they already have their yearly commitment but he's encouraging them instead of giving the commitment in one single one single time to break it up and to give it weekly it should be a weekly contribution or at least a monthly contribution and he's going to explain the reasons. In the second part of the lesson number two, we'll discuss the other reasons. And here, the Alter Rebbe starts out with the reason why it's important, instead of just giving at the end of the year, you know, December's around the corner, <laughs> end of the year giving, the importance of giving continuously and constantly. Even if you're not giving more, you're giving the same amount. To give every week and to give every month and why that's so important. As the Rebbe points out, we're not discussing about a person, if the charity needs the money now, then don't say, well, I can't give you the money now. I need to uh, follow what Alder Rebbe said. I need to uh, give it weekly or monthly. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about in a case, an example, that they used to send once a year, they would send the money to Israel. So as it is, the money only went once a year. After they collected over many months from all the different communities, and they put it all together, and then they would send it in the safest way possible. So it wouldn't matter, it wouldn't make a difference to the recipient how often you gave, whether you gave it in one shot, whether you gave it weekly, you gave it monthly, the outcome would be the same for, for, the, for the recipient. Obviously, if it matters for the recipient and he needs the money now, give it to him in one lump sum now. Don't, don't, don't break it up and torture him and I'll give you a penny today and I'll give you two pennies tomorrow. Rather give it to him now. He needs it now, yesterday. But in the case where it doesn't matter to the recipient, the end result is the same. So we're talking about the giver. 
So for the, for the benefit of the giver, Alter Rebbe is encouraging, instead of giving it in one lump sum, break it up. Give it weekly, at least monthly. And that's what he's going to explain in this letter. Having first duly inquired after the welfare of those who love Hashem's name. And the reason he mentions here Hashem's name is because the name Hashem is associated with the land of Israel. We're talking about tzedakah for the land of Israel, and it says the eyes of Hashem are constantly in the land of Israel. So the, land, the name of Hashem is associated, Hashem's personal name, Yudke Vavke, is associated with the land of Israel. So he says those who love Hashem. And how do you express that love? By supporting the Jews living in his land, in his holy land. This pastoral letter was written by the Alter Rebbe, to rouse those of his followers who had pledged an annual contribution to Kolel Chabad. This fund supported their fellow Hasidim who had settled in the land of Israel, where they now studied Torah engaged in divine service. The Alter Rebbe here urges that instead of waiting until the end of the year, his followers should give part of the promise some weekly or at least monthly. For apart from the quality of alacrity, the eager promptness that ought to be displayed during the performance of mitzvah in general, and the mitzvah of tzedakah, charity in particular, there is an additional quality involved, as will soon be explained. The Alter Rebbe begins this epistle by greeting his fellow Jews as lovers of Hashem's name. This appellation especially suits those, who, those helping their brethren who serve Hashem in the Holy Land. For upon this land, Hashem's gaze is fixed constantly, and this verse uses Hashem's ineffable name, Havaya, indicating that the land is directly illuminated and animated by the sublime level of divinity indicated by that singular and unique name. So in addition, the Rebbe points out that we already learned earlier in letter number five that by giving tzedakah, we like make Hashem's name. So tzedakah is associated with Hashem's personal name, and the name, Yudke Vavke, Hashem's personal name, represents kindness. Which love is the inner attribute of kindness. So those who love Hashem and those who are connecting with Hashem's kindness express that love by giving, by becoming a giver and giving generously. So all of this is associated with the name, he says, Hashem's name. Those among the people who willingly volunteer to practice the righteous charitability of Hashem towards His Holy Land, by giving three years, set sum of money for the inhabitants of our Holy Land, may it be, be built and established speedily in our day. So this was there, he, Alter Rebbe writes clearly, they willingly volunteered. No one twisted their arm. They willingly volunteered and took it upon themselves to be counted as part of the Hasidim and to be counted as and took upon themselves this commitment every year, and they used to pledge a certain amount. This is what I'm pledging for the year. And uh, they can count on it. They knew that this family is giving this amount for Kailul Chabad. Even though it was a very poor community, in general, the Jews in Eastern Europe, and Russia, the 19th century, as you're talking about the, even the 18th century, they were impoverished. But nevertheless... The Jews in Israel were even less off than them. They had no means to sustain themselves. So every family took it upon themselves, according to their ability, whatever it was, to pledge a certain amount, an annual pledge. So the Rebbe says, I am speaking to them. 
May my word call to them and my speech trickle like dew, in order to bestir those who are naturally swift. For one hurries only the swift, and to strengthen weak hands, for their unquestioned willingness is hampered only by their poverty. We're talking about those who are already inspired to donate. So people are already inspired. So I can say words, Al Rebbe says, I can write words of inspiration because I'm inspiring those who are already inspired, those who already inspire themselves. So my words will encourage them to inspire them further and they'll respond. They'll be receptive to my words of inspiration. And to strengthen weak hands, in other words, the only thing that's weak here, there's no weakness of heart, no weakness of conviction, no weakness of desire. The desire is there and the inspiration is there. But physically, there's maybe a weak hand. Because of poverty, yeah, they, they were poverty stricken. So, so they may want to do it, but it may be difficult for them to do. It. So that's why I'm here to strengthen, strengthen the weak hand and to to inspire them, so that they should contribute money for the land of Israel every week or at least every month. Every week, he means at the end of the week for Shabbat. Before Shabbat, they should give, put aside money. And every month, he means the beginning of the month, Rosh Chodesh. On Rosh Chodesh, they should put aside. And put aside, he meant proportionally. Proportionally means, let's say they made a pledge of, uh, of 12 ruble for the year. So every month, give a ruble. Or every week, give uh, 25 cents or whatever, 25 kupkas. He's not asking them to increase their donation. That's not what he's asking them. Is whatever you pledge, just break it up. Don't just give it at the end of the year in one lump sum. Give it constantly, continuously, a trickle every week. If you can't do it every week, at least once a month. Twelve donations, write twelve checks. If you can't do 52, write twelve. But it's better than one check. Even though the amount may be the same. As well as the dedicated money that each individual was inspired to donate annually without a doubt. For the support of our brethren who live in the Holy Land. When a Jew takes a resolution, a good resolution, you have to say, B'li neder, without a vow. Because if you don't say, B'li neder, and you do something good, you do it three times, it becomes like an oath. It's no longer optional. So if you want to have the option, you want to do it, but you don't want to commit because you never know, and what if you won't be able to? So any good deed that you take upon yourself, any good resolution, you always add... Believe that they're without a vow. So even though you can take that commitment to the bank, but legally they're not, it's not binding. But if anything happens, they didn't violate a vow. So that's what he says, that they were inspired to make a commitment to donate annually without a vow. Continue. It would seem that in these last few lines, the altar Rebbe means to add the following, not only are the amounts that were always given in previous years to be given henceforth on a week for a monthly basis. But additional amounts ought to be divided like it. Words, if a person is inspired to give even more to increase his pledge, you should do the same thing. Even that increase, instead of just giving it in one lump sum, let him break it down again. Let him increase every week, every month. The same idea. Why is this so important? What difference does it make if I give it in one lump sum or if I do it weekly, 52, 
52 installments, or I do it in 12 installments. What's the big deal? To the recipient, it doesn't matter. They're getting it once a year anyway. So why, why does it make such a big difference? Why is it so important? Why is Al-Tarebi writing this letter? Why is it so important? So he's going to explain why this is very important. Well, first of all, everyone knows the great virtue of alacrity with respect to all commandments, which is spoken of repeatedly in the words of our sages and blessed memory, for example. At all times, should one be prompt in fulfilling a command. So this is a general principle in regarding all the mitzvot. When you do a mitzvah, you should do it with alacrity. Zizut. You should do it quickly, you should do it energetically, enthusiastically. You run. You run to do a mitzvah. Heavy ruts. You should run to do a mitzvah. When do you run? If you're excited about something, you run. If you're not excited, you drag your feet. <laughs> I have to go. Suddenly you age 20 years. You can barely move. <laughs> when you're excited, you're younger with 20 years. You're running. You're, you, you can't wait. There's a... There's a spring in your step. You can't wait to get there. You're excited. So when you do a mitzvah, you have to run. So when you leave the shul, you should walk slowly. You're sad to leave the shul. When you're running to shul, you are at the shul, you're running. Going to the kiddush, no mitzvah to run. <laughs> but there's a stampede. <laughs> you may get trampled, watch out. But you should actually run to shul. Run, they're so excited to do a mitzvah. Run to the shear, run. So this is a general principle that a person should always do it earlier. You should be prompt. You should be, do it quickly. You should try to be the first one, early. Be early to do a mitzvah. So too, it is the merit of the eager prophets of our father Abraham, peace upon him, who hastened to the Akedah, the binding of Isaac, that stands by us and our children forever. The Akedah is something that we speak of every single morning, every single day of our lives. Shabbos, Yom Tev, a weekday. Not a day goes by that we don't read the story of the Akedah. And then in days we say Tachnon, we add a prayer before, we add a prayer after. Please Hashem, the merit of the Akedah should stand us in good, in good uh, you know, for good merit. So the Akedah is so essential in our life. And what's so special about the Akedah? So he says it's the quickness of Avram, the eagerness that he ran. This is the critical aspect of the whole Akedah. The Akedah itself, which Hashem constantly recalls, is not really regarded as so great a test in relation to the stature of our father Abraham, peace upon him. He said that Keda itself, the fact that he was ready to sacrifice Isaac, that's not what stands out about the Akedah. That's not what makes it, makes it so special. Especially considering that Hashem himself said to him, please take your son and bring him as an offering. After all, there have been numerous saintly individuals who gave their lives to the sanctification of Hashem, even though he did not speak to them. How then can this be considered such a great test for Avraham when Hashem himself commanded him to offer his son? Well, what's so special about Avraham that he gave up his life? He was ready to sacrifice Isaac. There were many Jews throughout history 
who martyred themselves for Hashem's sake. And Hashem never spoke to them. They never heard it from Hashem. So here Hashem spoke to Avram directly. And even if you're going to say, like some commentaries say, Hashem said to Avram, Kach no, please. No, I'm not commanding you. I'm asking you. So he was never commanded. Still in all, Hashem's wish is my command. If Hashem asked me to do something, obviously Hashem wants me to do this. So it's, it's as if Hashem commanded me. It doesn't matter. How many Jews gave up their lives without Hashem speaking to them? They never spoke to Hashem in their lives. Hashem is speaking directly to Avram and he's telling him, please, this is what I want you to do, please. Of course, he was ready to do it. How, how can you compare that to the martyrs of our Jewish history who never heard Hashem? Hashem never appeared to them and Hashem never spoke to them. And they gave up their life. So what's the big deal? What do we make such a big deal of the Akedah? He's the first one. Oh. So Hanshi says, he's the first one. It's easy for us because we're following in his footsteps. But he was the pioneer. He paved the way. After he did it, now, of course, for us it's easy, easier because he already showed us the way. So maybe that's why the arcade is such a big deal. But wait a minute, it's not so simple. Salter Rebbe doesn't accept that explanation. Because he asked the question. He says, what's the big deal? Hashem spoke to Avram. Throughout Jewish history, he never spoke to all the Jewish martyrs, and yet they were ready to give up their lives. So he doesn't accept the answer that this is the first one and that's what makes it special. Why doesn't he accept this answer? For the simple reason. Because this was not the first test. This was not the first time. This was the tenth test. Avram already was thrown into the fire. According to some, that was test number one. According to others, that was test number two. But he was already thrown into the fire. So Avram already pioneered. He already paved the way. Once he did that, he was ready to burn and he jumped into the, he was ready to go into the fire to die. He didn't go into the fire to get saved. A miracle happened, Hashem saved him. So he already, just like after Avram showed the way and paved the way, whatever follows is much easier because he already, he already created the path. He paved the highway and we're just following in his footsteps. If we can follow in Avram's footsteps and it makes it easier for us, surely Avram could follow in his own footsteps. Once he already had the breakthrough, once he pioneered, once he jumped into the fire, the second time, it's already, it's, it's done. He's been there, done that. It's not, it's not such a big deal. If anything, if the first time, and it's the first time he jumped into the fire. Well, technically, you may argue, listen, it's one thing to jump in the fire. But for a parent to sacrifice his only, only son, his own son, and the miraculous son that he had at the age of 100, of his main, of his wife, Sarah, her only child. Okay, but then the question is also, there are also many Jews who sacrificed their lives even though they didn't have to sacrifice. They weren't commanded to sacrifice their life and they didn't even have to sacrifice their life. Because the Torah says there are only three cardinal sins that you are obligated to sacrifice your life. For all the other mitzvot, you don't have to sacrifice your life. 
according to Maimonides, you're not allowed to sacrifice your life. If you don't have to, you're not allowed to. But according to many others, you don't have to, but if you do, it's commendable. So without Hashem even asking, you don't have to. On their own, they sacrifice their life. Without Hashem speaking to them, without Hashem appearing, appearing to them. So what makes the Akedah so special, unique, in the annals of history? This is something that's astounding, astonishing, it's unique. <laughs> That's the point. The point is that our father Avram, peace upon him, did this with wondrous alacrity. For as the verse testifies, Avram rose very early and himself saddled his donkey in order to demonstrate to others as well his joy and eager desire to fulfill the will of his master and to bring gratification to his maker. It's the fact that Avram woke up at the crack of dawn, saddled the donkey himself. He was so eager, he was so excited. He had servants. He put them all aside. He did it himself. Hashem told him, sacrifice yourself. He didn't tell him, go at the crack of dawn. You're saying goodbye to your son. Let me spend a few days with him. Let me enjoy him a little. And then I'll take him to the arcade. What's the rush? Let's have breakfast. Let's have a nice lunch. Let's make a barbecue. Let's spend, the, spend, spend some time. The last time I'm going to see him. Sarah. It's the last time we'll be together, mother, father, let's, let's, let's go on vacation for a few days. And then Avram woke up. He was excited. He was eager. He wasn't sad. You're about to lose your son. So yes, he's ready to listen to Hashem. This is what Hashem commands me. I'm ready to listen. There was no heaviness of heart. There was no sadness. Because if there was sadness, he would take his time. He would do it. But he wouldn't be jumping up. He jumped up with joy. I have a mitzvah. This is what Hashem wants me to do. This is my mitzvah. This is what I have to do. So this is what I have to do. Not only am I going to do it, but I'm doing it with joy, with alacrity, with enthusiasm. I'm, I'm all in, 100%. I'm doing it. And I'm doing it 100%. There's no such thing as doing a mitzvah half-hearted. I do it, I'm 100% here. This is what Hashem wants me to do, then my whole being is here. Every fiber of my being, I'm, I'm 100% in. Not with one hand tied behind my back. I'm 100% committed. I'm in. I do it with presence of mind. I do it joyfully. I do it with excitement. He can't wait to get up. This is, this is what he's living with. This is my life now. This is what I'm doing. 
This is what I'm. Uh, this is my life. I'm doing it 100%. I'm doing it joyfully, with excitement, enthusiasm. That's why he jumped up in the morning, woke up first thing in the morning. And that's why it's so astounding. That's what's so astounding. That he listened to God, that he listened to Hashem. If Hashem speaks to you, how could you not listen? That's not what's so astounding. Especially it's not the first time. He already jumped into the fire. And he went through nine tests. And even if it is the first time, Hashem is speaking to you directly. No other Jew had that benefit of that experience. All the Jewish martyrs that came after, Hashem never spoke to them, Hashem never revealed Himself to them. And they were ready to die for Hashem. But the fact that the Avram did it wholeheartedly, enthusiastically, without any sadness, without any heaviness, without any hesitation, without any regrets. This is what Hashem wants. He jumped at the opportunity. He was all in. He couldn't wait to do what, he had, to do what Hashem wants him to do. This is what's so special. This is what's so astounding and astonishing. Okay, now he's going to explain why does he say to show to show his, to show, to demonstrate to others his joy. Not only was he joyful, but he jumped up to make a point, to demonstrate to others how you have to fulfill Hashem's mitzvah. When you do a mitzvah, you have to do it with joy. Why is it so important that he was demonstrating, he had a mind to demonstrate to others how important it is to do a mitzvah of Hashem and how to do it joyfully, wholeheartedly, enthusiastically going to explain the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe explained that the difference between the tzaddik and the baltruva that the tzaddik who's perfect lives for himself the baltruva is active the baltruva is an activist he can't just live for himself he has to inspire someone else So at the moment of the Akeda, up until the Akeda, Avram was like a tzaddik. He was perfect. But at the, the, the Akeda, he became like a baltruva. Because the whole point of the Akeda was he had to break his nature. He had to bend his nature. To go against his nature. His nature was kindness. The epitome of kindness. And here, he's going against his nature. He's about to do something that goes against every fiber of his being and every bone in his body. To offer Isaac as a sacrifice. And he did this, fulfilled this with such joy and alacrity. So he became like a baltruva, overcoming his nature. And the baltruva can't just live for himself. The baltruva is an activist that has to inspire others around him. So whatever Avram did at the Akeda wasn't just for himself, but he did it intentionally to demonstrate to others and for all times, for the future, to demonstrate what it means, how we're supposed to fulfill a mitzvah. We have to fulfill a mitzvah all in, wholeheartedly, enthusiastically, in passion, and joyful. And that's why he ran, he woke up early, he saddled the donkey himself. The previous of the Vichy Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzhak Niemsen, of blessed memory, 
explains in a discourse dated the 12th of Tammuz 5709 that the divine service of penitence should involve affecting others as well. Now the challenge of the Akedah required that Avram, the epitome of love and kindness, reverse his essential nature, in which the attribute of Chesed predominated, and act with all the severity of the attribute of Dovara. Hence I reverse, I now know that you fear Hashem. In this diametrical reversal, Abraham resembled a penitent, and like a penitent, he sought to share with others his delight at fulfilling Hashem's will. Al-Tarebi told a story. He was like the youngest uh, student of the Magid, Rabbi Dovber, the Magid of Mizrich. Not everyone was accepted as a student. There were many who tried to become part of the inner circle. And the Magid would not accept everyone. And those who were not rejected, many of them chose to hang around. To hang around, they said, "Listen, if we're not accepted as in the inner circle to be the students, at least we can help and we can rub shoulders and hang around this very special group of Jews, the greatest rabbis, mystics, and scholars of Eastern Europe, the Rabbi Dov Ber and his close Hasidim." Al-Tarebi explained, he says, these people were not simple people. Those that were rejected were very, very great people. And he tells the following story. Many, so once, it was a winter night in Eastern Europe, Al-Tarebi was lying down, resting. After learning, Al-Tarebi would learn like 18 hours a day. So he slept, whatever, an hour or two a day, a night. So he was resting. And, and these who were not accepted... They accepted upon themselves to the jobs, the menial jobs to take care of the students. They were called the uh, harubnikas, and their job was to stoke the oven, to, to the fireplace, to make sure that there's wood and to make sure the fire is going all night. That's how you had heat. They were able to learn and to so live in the... They lived in the house of study. That's where they ate and slept, and that's where they lived 24-7. So it was their job to take care of the... The Al-Tarebi was lying down, but he wasn't asleep. And he overheard the conversation between these three Arubnikas, these three who were rejected, who were not accepted in the inner circle, and they remained just to be able to service and to hang around. So they were taking care of the, of the fireplace. And they had the conversation about the Akedah. And they asked, what's the big deal of the Akedah? Why is it such a big deal? God speaks to Avraham directly and he commands him, even if he asks him, and he was ready to listen to God. What's the big deal? So one person answered, he says, because the Ran says, that Hashem said, no, he asked, he pleaded, because it wasn't a commandment, it was just a suggestion, a, a request. It wasn't obligatory. And the other one, his friend says, no, I don't buy that. It still doesn't answer the question. If God wants, I mean, if he wants, his wish is my command. Even if he doesn't request. And how many Jews, Hashem never even appeared to them and they, they gave up their lives. And how many Jews gave up their lives even if it wasn't even request, even if it wasn't required of them. It wasn't the three cardinal sins and nevertheless they martyred themselves for Hashem. So what's the big deal of Avram? What makes Avram so special, so unique? So the other one answered that it was the alacrity, 
the quickness, the swiftness. Not only that he fulfilled the commandment, but he fulfilled it with such swiftness, with such quickness. He woke up early and he saddled the donkey. He couldn't wait. And he went quickly and enthusiastically and excitedly. He went and did it. The fact that he did it so swiftly. But the point that Alter Rebbe is making here. And the third one says, no, I don't like that answer. Swiftly? He says, a God would have spoken to me. I wouldn't wait till the morning. I would go leave at night. <laughs> as soon as Hashem spoke to me, I would leave. Why? I waited till the morning. Are you kidding? If Hashem speaks to me and says, this is what I want, I would jump and I would take a candle and start, uh, and start uh, marching. But he says, I think what's so big, the big deal about Avram, it says, that when Hashem told him, send the uh, message, the angel, don't touch Yitzchak. And I never really commanded you to touch Yitzchak. My commandment was to elevate him and put him on the altar. And you did it. You put him on the altar. Now take him off the altar. I never told you to offer him as an offering. I just said, put him on the altar. And you, you fulfilled my commandment. I'm not changing my mind. I mean, you didn't understand me. You thought I'm asking you to, to offer him as an offering. I just said, put him, on the, put him on the altar. And you did. Now take him off the altar. So the Torah says... And then the angel appeared to Avram that now you did not spear your son from me because in the merit that you didn't spear your son from me, you will, children will be blessed and, um, and you'll have, your children will be as numerous as the stars, like the sand, the grain of sand. But why does he add the word that you didn't spear your son from me? He should have said you didn't spear your son. What do you mean you didn't spear your son from me? And the Torah is, is coming to tell us that Avraham, it's not like Avraham was relieved. Oh, thank God. <laughs> thank God. I didn't have to touch Isaac. I passed the test and I didn't have to touch Isaac. I had the best of both worlds. That's not why Avraham was so excited. Avraham was excited because he was fulfilling a mitzvah of Hashem. Hashem says, don't touch your son. So this is what Hashem wants. He fulfilled that with the same excitement, the exact same excitement that he had to offer Isaac, the exact same excitement. Hashem says, don't touch. This is what Hashem wants. And this is what Hashem wants. So it wasn't because he was personally excited because his son was speared. Because Avram had no personal agendas. His agenda was Whatever Hashem wants. Hashem wants me to offer Isaac, I'm offering Isaac. He wants me to spear Isaac, and I'm spearing Isaac. How could you, at the same moment, you're ready to offer your son, and the next moment you're saving your son, and you're equally excited? Because my excitement is, this is what Hashem wants. Whatever Hashem wants. So if this is what Hashem wants, if this is what Hashem wants, all that matters is what Hashem wants. And he was equally, nothing changed. It wasn't like he was forcing himself to do the Akedah 
And now he was relieved. He wasn't forcing him. He was, did it with tremendous excitement. It's interesting. It says that Avram sent his hand. He sent his hand to take the knife. And he took the knife to slaughter Isaac. Why does he say he sent his hand? So Hasidic master said, because Avram was a chariot to God. Avram was completely egoless. He was completely unified with God. The truth was, Hashem never wanted him to touch Isaac. So when he took the knife and was ready to slaughter, he had to force his hand because his hand knew that that's not, his hand instinctively, that's not what Hashem wants. So he, he had to like force his hand. But it wasn't like Isaac, Avram was going through the motions. Avram was mechanical and he was forcing himself. Isaac, Avram wasn't forcing himself. He was joyful. He was excited. This is what Hashem wants of me. And when Hashem says, suddenly switch and says no, and it wasn't a switch, he, re- he explained himself, that's not what I meant, and, and I don't want you to touch him, I don't want you to lay a finger in him, I don't want you to take a drop of blood from him. It's not like Avram was disappointed. This is what Hashem wants. This is what Hashem wants. Because this is what Hashem wants. Not because, oh, thank God, I'm speared. Avram had no personal agenda. So the Alter Rebbe was overhearing this conversation. And he said that each one of these three Harubnikas was expressing his level, was talking on his level. They were describing Avram based on their level. Each one was a little deeper than the other and each one was explaining it on a, on a deeper level. So these were the ones who were rejected, who were not accepted in the inner circle. But you can see that they were, they were in a very, a very high level. So this is the point that he's saying here, that the, the joy, the fact that Avram did the Akedah with such tremendous joy, and this becomes the source for all mitzvot. We learn from Avram. Not only the mitzvot associated with Avram, but the bris of Avram, you do it early, you do it quickly. But all the mitzvot that a Jew serves Hashem with joy, with alacrity. That's how I know that you're joyful. When you're joyful, you do it quickly, you do it swiftly, you do it Early, you do it. The first opportunity, you don't uh, procrastinate until you move, until you lift a pinky, until you make a movement. You know, everyone's dying around you. If, you. if you're doing it with joy, you're doing it quickly and swiftly. You do it well, and you do it enthusiastically and passionately, and it's done beautifully, and it's done to the maximum, and it's done the most beautiful way, and it's the first thing. You wake up early and you do it. This is a sign of, of joy, an expression of joy. And this we learn from the very first Jew. So Avram was the first, the pioneer, the first Jew. And he was the first to show us what it means to do a mitzvah with joy. The Akedah. This is a mitzvah, and he did it with such joy. And he did it with such alacrity. Swiftly, quickly, 
well done, precisely. It was perfect. From his part. And then Hashem said, fine, you passed the test. That's how we do a mitzvah. All mitzvah. That's the sign of Avraham. We're the children of Avraham. We inherit this from Avraham. If the Akedah you can do with joy, surely all the mitzvah you can do with joy. Especially the mitzvah of tzedakah. That it shouldn't be so painful. <laughs> it should be a joyful endeavor. It should be a joyful event, experience, to give. Some people to give, it's, it's pulling teeth. Uh, it's torture <laughs> it's painful it shouldn't be so painful giving should be done joyfully and swiftly and quickly and enthusiastically and wholeheartedly for some people it's a big test almost as big as the arcade <laughs> to write a check <laughs> to part with their hard earned money to give 10% it's not enough just to give, but it's important to do it joyfully. And how do you express that? By giving, instead of just giving a one lump sum before the deadline, when you have no choice, to give it every week, once a week, to give it once a month. It means you can't wait to do the mitzvah. You can't wait. You're eager. So let me, let me, let me write a check now. Let me, let me give now. Let me give a little now and a little more and a little more. I can't give more. I'm giving the best that I can. But if I'm just giving a lump sum, that means I'm, okay, it's an obligation and I have no choice. I pay income taxes. You do what you have to and you wait for the deadline and the last day, uh, there's lines out the door <laughs> for the extension, <laughs> right? <laughs> but here, you're not waiting for an extension. You're not waiting for deadlines. You're not waiting for someone to come knock on your door. Oh, okay, okay, I'll give it to you. Fine, let me, let me go. You run. You pick up the phone. Rabbi, please pick up the check. Come today. You do it weekly. You do it monthly. Be alive. Be joyful. Indeed, it was from the example of Abraham. And with the power that he vested with all his descendants, that our sage is a blessed memory, learned that alacrity is required in the fulfillment of all the commandments in general, and in particular with respect to the act of clarity, which is superior to the more charity. If that's true of all mitzvahs, how much more so with the mitzvah of tzedakah? Because tzedakah, as we learned earlier, is superior to all the other mitzvahs. So tzedakah, more so than any other mitzvah, it's important, it's not just the mitzvah, the doing the mitzvah, it's not enough. It's the joy. It's the swiftness. Just like the Akedah. He says the, the Akedah itself is not so impressive. It's the joy that's impressive. That, that's, that's what it's all about. That's the key. So too, you can do the mitzvah. But that's not... What's more impressive is the joy. The alacrity, the swiftness, the quickness, the, the excitement. That's essential. It's not like icing on the cake. You know, it's nice. It's a nice icing. It's a nice touch. It's a nice packaging. The point of the Akedah is not a touch. This is the whole Akedah. This is the, why the Akedah is so 
momentum, why the Akedah is so important. Not so much the deed itself, but the way Avram did it. So to the mitzvah, as great as the mitzvah is, and the mitzvah of tzedakah is the equivalent, of, is, is as great as all the other mitzvot, but what's even greater is the joy and the swiftness and the alacrity, how you do the mitzvah. That's essential. That's what he's bringing out over here. It's not just a, okay, what's the big deal? As long as the, the deed gets done, right? After all, it's the action that matters most. What difference does it make if I do it with joy, without joy? I got it done. The deed is done. I'm on the train. What difference does it make? I'm on fourth class. The Rebbe says, no, this is essential. Joy is the most essential ingredient. Quickly, to do it swiftly, and to do it with, with alacrity and excitement and enthusiasm, to show that you're all in it. You love it and you're in it and you're doing it 100% and you're alive and you, you, you run to do the mitzvah and you're eager to do the mitzvah. This is, this is the essential ingredient. In a way, it's even more essential than the mitzvah per se. Just like the Akedah. The joy with Abraham was more essential than the mitzvah itself and the Akedah itself. And we benefit from the merit of the Akedah. It's not so much the deed of the Akedah. It's the joy. So the joy is so essential. This is a very revolutionary point Alter Rebbe is making here. It's not just a detail. It's a nice, it's a nice, good, it's nice. If you do it, do it already. If you're already doing it, do it joyfully. It's a nice touch. Said it's not a nice touch. It's essential. This is, this is what makes or breaks it. This is what it's all about. And that the protection saves by its fruits that are repaid in this world from all kinds of calamities that may come about. So he says it's important. The act of tzedakah is especially important to us. Because tzedakah protects us. The principle of tzedakah, the reward for the principle of tzedakah, that will only be in the future, in the world to come. But the dividends of tzedakah, the the fruits and the dividends of tzedakah, that we benefit here and now, immediately, physically, practically. Just like you gave tzedakah and you helped someone physically, materially, tangibly, so too the dividends of tzedakah, the rewards, the dividends, is something that we enjoy immediately. And it protects us in this world from all kinds of calamities that come about. We know how risky life is, and we know the constant pitfalls and dangers that we all face. And we need all the protection that we can get. And there's no mitzvah like tzedakah that can protect, there's no mitzvah that can protect us like tzedakah from all the possible pitfalls and all the possible problems that may come upon us, whether it's health-wise or financially or any other, any area in our life. There's nothing that tzedakah cannot help us tangibly, immediately, practically, physically, on every level. So if we need, if we desperately need this protection, then surely we should do it enthusiastically and swiftly and don't just push it off and wait till the deadline and once a year give a lump sum. Every week and every month. That is written, and tzedakah saves from death. And how much more so from other kinds of suffering that are milder than death? If tzedakah can save from death the ultimate, how much more so from the smaller things? 
It is thus certainly to our benefit, even in this world, to be as expeditious as possible in the giving of charity, and even more so than in the fulfillment of other commandments, whose reward may not be as palpable in this world. For after all, a man is judged every day, so that it is quite possible that he is in need of the merit of today's tzedakah to protect him from today's judgment. So you can't push it off. I'll give at the end of the year. <laughs> I'll give before the deadline, or the day of the deadline, the last day. I need the protection now. I have problems today. I need help now. And there's no greater help or protection than tzedakah. So, so what are you waiting for? This, you're giving the same amount anyway. So what are you waiting for? Give now, today. Make it a, day, a part of your day. Give this week. Give this month. And then the protection will start immediately, today. All your problems are you're facing today. And then the next week. The problems are not going anywhere. You'll have new problems next week. So I'll need another protection next week. So that's why Al-Tarebi is encouraging, that's the, f- the first reason. And in the next class, you can listen to it in tinyclass.com, he goes into a much deeper, profound reason why it's important to give, constantly give. You know, we have someone who actually, it's astonishing. I don't, think, I, yeah, I don't know if you ever learned this, but instinctively, via PayPal, every day he sends us tzedakah. It could be even a dollar, it could be $18, whatever. Every day he sends something. The idea of every day giving tzedakah is an astounding thing. Previously, Rabbi Sherebi started, it's called Keren Ashana, where people would give for the whole year, whether it was $365 or, or less, enough to give every day, a quarter, a dime, a nickel, a, a, I, mean, I don't know if a nickel today is worth a penny, but at least a dime, a quarter, uh, 50 cents, a dollar, some give more. But every day, even if you don't have the opportunity to give, this fund, which collects from all different people, gives every day tzedakah for everyone that participates. So every day you're giving tzedakah. The importance of giving tzedakah every single day. So this concept, even though the Rebbe is talking about a specific, a specific uh, cause and case of giving to Israel, but the concept that applies universally. So to give everyone the opportunity, not only to give once a week, not only to give once a month, but every single day. And Friday to give for Friday and for Shabbos. So the idea of joining, if one day you don't have the opportunity to give tzedakah, you already gave in the beginning of the year, you're part of this fund, so whoever is part of it participates, every day something is given from the fund, so you gave tzedakah every single day. So you have the merit of the tzedakah every single day. But this is what he writes over here is quite revolutionary, that, that the importance of joy, the importance of to, to do the mitzvah swiftly, quickly, early, first opportunity, to do it the most beautiful way possible, wholeheartedly, enthusiastically. You know, the Hasidim, the first name, they were called the joyful ones, the freilicha, the joyful ones. He looked at the face. He knew right away if he's a chassid or not. If he's morose and depressed, you know he's not a chassid. If he saw joy and a life, you know he's a chassid. So this is an essential ingredient in our Judaism, in our relationship with Hashem. That's the key. Do you have a relationship with Hashem? 
is your Judaism about you? Is it an ego trip? So I should get a share in the world to come? Is it about me, myself, and I, and I, and I, and I, and how great a Jew I am, and how great a person I am, and how spiritual I am, and how deep I am, and how profound I am, and how wonderful I am? You can't get over your eye. It's relentless. So then that's nothing to do with Hashem. That person is not joyful. But if it's not about you, forget about yourself. It's about Hashem. It's a relationship with Hashem. It's a marriage to Hashem. He starts out the letter to those who love Hashem. You have a love relationship with Hashem. It's a marriage, a relationship. You're not thinking about you. You're not focused on yourself. You're focused on your spouse. You're focused on Hashem. If it's about Hashem, you're not thinking about yourself. Then you're joyful. There's no ego. There's no ego. There's joy. With his ego, there's no joy. Avram, who is the lover of Hashem, was completely egoless. There's no ego. There's no agendas. Who is about Hashem? So if this is what Hashem wants, there's joy. Hashem is asking me to do the impossible. Not only am I going to do it with a heavy heart and begrudgingly. And Avram woke up early, couldn't wait, enthusiastically, personally saddled his donkey, ran to do the mitzvah. So this is an essential, essential ingredient in our Judaism. So much so that the Arizal, the, great, the greatest Kabbalist that ever lived, and Maimonides explained the verse in the Torah the exact same way. It says in the Torah, at the end of Deuteronomy, when we read about the uh, 98 curses that will befall on the Jewish people, so the Torah gives the reason why will all these curses befall on the Jewish people? Worse curses. Because you did not serve God with joy. From all the blessings that you had. So the simple explanation is Rashi says that's not a reason to be cursed. 90, 98 curses. So he explained the the way to interpret this verse is you didn't serve Hashem even though you were blessed with so many blessings but instead of being grateful for your blessing and using the opportunities to serve Hashem even though you were joyful and you were blessed and you had opportunities and yet you neglected it you did not serve Hashem you didn't serve Hashem that's why the Jewish people received the 98 curses but the simple reading is not so Maimonides when he discusses the laws of joy, how a Jew has to serve Hashem with joy, quotes this verse, and the Arizal explains it the same way. He says the literal meaning of the verse is, not like Rashi says, the literal meaning of the verse is, you served Hashem. Not you didn't serve Hashem. You served God. You fulfilled all 613 mitzvah. The only thing that was lacking was, all that was lacking was joy. You did everything that you had to do. You fulfilled all your responsibilities, all your obligations, but there was no joy. For that alone, you deserve all the 98 curses. Because it shows that this is essential. It's not like icing on the cake. There is joy, there isn't joy. What's the difference? I'm doing what I have to. I'm taking care of my responsibilities. What does it matter? No, no, no. This is key. This is essential. This, is, this weighs more than the deed itself. 
The joy is even more important than the deed itself. Because the joy shows a purity of heart. The joy shows that there's a relationship, that there's no ego, that it's real, that there's a connection. It's not, you're not a machine, it's not mechanical. It's alive. And this we see from the Akedah. The whole key of the Akedah is not the deed. It's the joy. So too when we do the mitzvah. The key is not so much the mitzvah. Even more so is the joy itself. How we do the mitzvah. We do it with swiftly and quickly and early and the first opportunity and excitedly, enthusiastically. So it's a very, very powerful letter, very essential point. Alter Rebbe is discussing here tzedakah, but he says it's true in all mitzvah, but especially tzedakah, and especially when we personally could use the protection that tzedakah gives us. And we need that protection today, not tomorrow. So if we do it early, don't wait till the tax collector comes, don't wait till the gabe comes and collecting, and the rabbi comes and asks, jump, jump ahead, and do it early, and do it quickly, and do it enthusiastically and passionately, then the blessings will follow immediately, today. And the blessings will be today, and you'll give this week, and next week, and following week, this month, next month, following month, so you'll have the constant blessing, constant protection. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.